The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Welcome to the Made Hoops podcast, featuring your hosts, Eric Hampford and Brian Flynn, as they take you through everything there is to know on the grassroots basketball circuit, including a spotlight on all the emerging elite middle school basketball talent from coast to coast, including the big time Made Hoops events, highlighting tomorrow's college and NBA stars. Now it's time to lace them up and take the floor with Made Hoops. Welcome to episode three of the Made Hoops podcast. I am your host, Eric Hampford, our national director of scouting at the middle school level, joined as always by Brian Flynn, our director of scouting on the high school level. This past weekend, we had a double dip of events. We had our opening of our West Coast Winter Circuit in Phoenix, Arizona, as well as session two of our Rose League in Washington, D.C., Now, as soon as we landed in Phoenix, it's become a tradition that our staff has to stop at In-N-Out Burger. My question that I have, is the hype justified on In-N-Out? I think it's decent. It's a quality burger, but I think a lot of what comes with In-N-Out is the animal sauce that goes on the burgers and the fries. Does that make the burger? Is that allowed in the hamburger debate that, that condiments set the tone for how good the burger is? Brian, where do you stand on the in and out debate and the national hamburger debate in general? Yeah, so for me, uh, I mean, in and outs okay. It's kind of a mid-plus for me. You know, like if we're going to equate it to basketball terms, it's a kid that gets a lot of high-major looks but not a high-major player. Um, Rankings-wise, five guys is always number one for me. Uh, I really appreciate Wendy's and their consistency. And then I would say Ruckers, and then probably In-N-Out and Whataburger at four and five. All right, switching lanes to the real reason we were in Phoenix last weekend. Session one, year number two, West Coast Winter Circuit. Last year, right off the jump, it was pretty clear from a talent standpoint who the teams at the top were. You had Team Griffin, our eventual West League eighth grade champions, the Truth OC, who was our runner-up, the other Truth team that we had in the league, and the Rose City Rebels. When you compare that with this year, some of the differences that I see. Right off the bat, there's more parity and balance in the eighth grade from top to bottom. You're not seeing uh, teams at the bottom who, who just aren't ready for that stage. It seems like the teams this year, especially the returning teams, have done a great job of really recruiting and, and stepping up their game, knowing that this stage has become you know the mecca of middle school basketball on the West Coast. And In order to not be embarrassed, you have to field a team of kids who are ready for that opportunity. So far, I don't really see a clear-cut number one team. We have several teams that are undefeated after one session, but there's also multiple one-loss teams who are in the mix, and I think that we're really going to have an exciting championship weekend because nobody's going to have an idea of who actually will win the championship, which I think it makes the West League a lot more exciting. 
I see more depth of individual talent from top to bottom. It seems like every single team has at least one really good player. And then it's about finding guys who fill in and and play alongside them and do their roles. So it's going to become a bit of a chess match going forward. How these teams plug in different guys, you know, who they play, scouting each other. I think it's going to be really fun. I think another aspect that you have to take into account is the star power coaching component. The one-time legends have seven-time NBA All-Star Tracy McGrady on the bench. Former UNLV star and NBA slam dunk champion J.R. Ryder is also the head coach of the AEBC Skyrider seventh grade team. So right there, you have a completely different level of coaching. Guys who've played at such a high level that they can offer insights and analysis and coaching that some other programs just can't do. So you'll expect to see some different things out of those two teams who, who had decent session ones and should only build upon that. After session one of action, we have four teams that are left standing with undefeated records. Paul George Elite, The Truth Flight, You Play Genesis, and Vegas Elite. Now, with Paul George Elite, last year, program director Byron Joseph told me that that they were going to win the league this year. And so far, his team's holding up their end of the bargain. They have a plethora of big, talented, interchangeable perimeter prospects. And I'm really intrigued by 6'3 wing Noah Williams, who caught my eye during session one. The Truth Flight, there was a very impressive weekend by 6'3 guard Victorious V.J. Miller. We had a chance to sit down with Victorious at West Coast Session 1, where we did an exclusive one-on-one interview. Here's our conversation with V.J. Miller. All right, hello. My name is Victorious Miller, class 2024. I'm from Los Angeles, California, and I play on The Truth. Okay, Victorious, I know this is uh, your first time playing in the West League. What's your experience like so far? I feel like the competition is great. They uh, have really good players out here. I feel like everybody's like good. Nobody's like terrible. So yeah. What uh, as far as uh, prospects on your team, are there some kids you already have a relationship or guys that you like to play with on the truth? Uh yeah, uh, Trent Perry, Aaron Paul, Jaden. Yeah. Describe a day in the life of V.J. Miller. Uh, the day in the life of Victorious Miller probably wake up, do homework, go to school. After that, I train and then come home, be with my family. What's the best part of your game right now? Best part of my game is I'm pretty athletic and I have a jump shot. Okay. What are you working on with your game? Uh, my defense, for sure. Okay. Favorite basketball team, pro or college? Uh, college. That's uh, UNC. And why do you like UNC? I like UNC because like, it's a great school. They have good players every year. And yeah. How about a favorite NBA player? Uh, Kawhi Leonard. Who's the best player in the NBA right now? LeBron. Cheez-Its or Doritos? Doritos. Favorite musical artist? A young boy. Uh, Describe your game in three words. Uh, different leader and loyalty. How about a dream vacation spot? Uh, Bora Bora. Who's got better players, West Coast or East Coast? West Coast. As far as a player that you might model your game after, it could be a pro, it could be a college player. Is there somebody that you look up to, maybe watch film of? Yeah, Mike Price. How about in California, who are the best basketball players right now, high school? Mikey Williams, Mike Price, Quentin Webb, Darius Carr, Tyler. Do you have relationships with any of those guys? All of them. Do you guys work on things together? Do you work out with any of those guys? Do they give you any advice on what to expect as you get ready for the high school? Yeah, they tell me all the time to like be calm at all, all times, like stay true to yourself. Yeah. And what is your goal 
by the time championship weekend comes, where do you see yourself with the truth? What are you, what are you looking to achieve in the winter circuit? To win and build a better ball on my teammates, it's my first time playing. VJ goes about 6'3", really knows how to put the ball in the basket, and he's going to be a crucial part of their success in the league going forward. They also have an impressive long-term prospect in 6'4", wing Jaden Harper, who can play a little bit on the inside as well as on the outside. He's just starting to scratch the surface of his potential, and I think when all is said and done, he's going to be the, one of the best players on the West Coast by the time his high school career comes to an end. Now, you play Genesis. They've been the surprise team of the session. It's their first year in the league, and they came ready to play. They played with fire the most out of the undefeated teams that we've seen so far, and by that I mean all of their games have come by a relatively close margin. They beat West Coast Select 43-40, took down Utah Elite 49-45, and closed out the weekend by handling the San Diego Soldiers. They're a fundamental group. They've shown that they can knock down a lot of shots, and Jaden J.D. Brooks looks like a very good long-term prospect for them. Program director Eddie Richardson is doing some impressive things with this group who came to the West League all the way from Calgary. Last but not least, you have Vegas Elite. Right off the bat, 6'3 guard Taj DeGorville is one of the five most dominant prospects we've seen in the league. Having his combination of size and strength, he's immediately at an advantage, and he continues to build on a skill set that I saw since last year. He's flanked on the perimeter by athletic guard Ryder Elisaldez, as well as rapidly emerging guard Jace Richardson. Both had impressive opening sessions. Brian, was there a team, in your opinion, that didn't live up to the billing or disappointed you from the first session? Yeah, for me, it was the Oakland Soldiers. I mean, they have some talented pieces in Michael Lewis and Zion Sensley, but those guys need some help, and you can see that it's still early in the season for these guys, and they're still kind of figuring out who they are as a team. I think that coming off last year, they had such an impressive team. It didn't really show in the win and loss column, but they had you know one of the best bigs in the 2023 class in Jalen Lewis, who continues to build on his resume after his opening uh, sessions last year. They also had Courtney Anderson Jr. and King Will Height on the perimeter. The Soldiers traditionally have a very strong program, and I expect that to continue to be the case. I think it's just going to take them a little bit more ta- time to gel. You mentioned some guys who impressed you from the undefeated teams, but obviously not everybody went undefeated this weekend. So who are some other players that you really thought stood out despite taking some losses? So one guy who I really enjoyed was Malik Rasul. Malik's uh, a kid that played in the league last year. He came to our Midwest Middle School Academy camp. It seems like every time I see him, he's adding a different piece to his game. He's closing in on 6'6". He's becoming more fluid on the wing in general. He has a confidence about him that he's one of the elites in this league, and I think that's really been you know, the cause for how well he's played. We had a chance to sit down with Malik at West Coast Session 1, where we did an exclusive one-on-one interview. Here's our conversation with Malik Rasul. I'm Malik Rasul, 6'6", wing from Tucson, Arizona, and I play for Arizona Supreme. Malik, how has your West League experience been so far? Great. I love the competition. It's a high level of play, and it just makes everybody better. Describe a day in the life of Malik Rizul. Uh, It's hard. You got to train. I train hard every day. If it's not training, I'm, uh, I'm watching film, learning how to be better, learning from other players. So last year you were more of a wing player, you were more of a post player, you're transitioning to the wing. What are some of those, those drills you've been working on, the things that you've been working on in the gym to make that transition? Uh, getting low. As a big, you don't really get low, and you don't know that guards get low. That was probably the hardest thing. Dribbling, too. Dribbling is pretty hard. And the jump shot, we've been doing that for a year, but I'm starting to get it, so. 
Snickers or M&M's? M&M's. Shows that you're watching right now? Um, Seven Deadly Sins and Naruto. Okay. Do you have a favorite movie? Uh, probably... Um, he Got Game. Describe your game in three words. Fast, explosive, smooth. Favorite musical artist? Gunna. Dream vacation spot? Mm, Miami. What's the best part of living in Arizona? The weather. It's not cold. I like that. Any players from across the country in your class that you're a fan of or your friend, uh, kid you're friends with that you guys communicate with that you're a fan of? Um, yeah, I, got, I, I know a lot of players. Like Lolo's on my team. Lolo's really good. Uh, BJ Miller. Better players, East Coast, West Coast? Uh, I'm going to go with East Coast. East Coast players, they play with heart. West Coast players, not all of them do. So. Any players professionally or collegiately that you model your game after, maybe? KD, Paul George type of player. That's really it. Now, what is your ultimate goal with Arizona Supreme in the winner circuit? To win. Win every game. Learn if we lose. And compete for the championship. You guys think you got a legit shot at the championship? Yeah, I believe so. Next, I think we have to talk about Ben Roseborough from the Truth North. He may have been the most impressive player in the league during session one. He's simply dominant as a 6'3 power guard, and he has an impressive skill set. Looking at him, he looks like he's older, but the reality is he's one of the younger prospects in the eighth grade class. He's grown physically since the last time I've seen him, and the kid lives in the gym. So it's no surprise that his coming out party was at session one. Now, for West Coast Select, Dedon DJ Thomas Jr., he has the look of the best point guard in the league to this point. He's the son of former UNLV star point guard, Dedon Thomas, and you could tell that he takes after his dad. He specializes in working out of the pick and roll, and he simply thinks the game better than most of the guys who are his age. Brian, who are some of the guys in the division that caught your eye? Yeah, For me, the first guy that really stuck out was Jack Volpe, uh, shooting guard from Colorado, Colorado Premier. Um, they had a bit of a rough weekend. They're another one of those teams that might have a couple of really intriguing long-term guys but need to kind of build around those around guys like jack if they're gonna you know have any sustain sustained success in this league this year um, but jack definitely knows he's good he's got the haircut he's got the swagger he could really shoot it puts the ball on the floor can attack closeouts a little bit was a surprisingly tough finisher around the rim um, he's a kid that i think is going to be really interesting to follow out of colorado moving forward and then uh, as arguably the most productive guy was Anthony Nawuli for Give Sports, uh, another Colorado-based program. Anthony is a big power forward, is just way more physical than a lot of the other bigs at this age, and was able to score through his defender or over his defender, showed good touch around the rim, um, moved pretty well laterally, had a couple of really nice blocks from the weak side, and, and just kind of played with a mean streak that really nobody else seemed to be able to match this weekend. Yeah, and I'm not sure if, if that kid is on a football field, um, but I think it would serve him well if he if he put on the shoulder pads. He's the type of kid with his size, his motor, his athleticism, that as soon as he gets on a football field, if he's not there already, you're going to see Division One programs starting to show serious interest in offers. This year, we've added our seventh grade league to the mix, consisting of 16 teams from Calgary to Phoenix. So far, Aim High, Arizona Supreme, the Oakland Soldiers, and Team Determined all have undefeated records. 
With aim high, this group made a major statement during Session 1, beating the AEBC Skyriders, San Diego Soldiers, and the Rose City Rebels. It's a talented group with skilled guards, and this year, they've added some nice size on the low block, which differentiated them from their last year's team. With Arizona Supreme, it's another group sitting at 3-0. They had blowout wins over Team Why Not and the Sin City Punishers before narrowly taking down All Vegas, 53-52 to close out the weekend. With the Oakland Soldiers, they're one of the most physically imposing teams in the league based on size and athleticism. They have wins over the ABC Skyriders, Sin City Punishers, and PFB Elite 2025, and have won every game by double digits. Going forward, I don't expect that to change based on just sheerly how talented and athletic this group is. Now, the last team we have, Team Determined. They've probably been the biggest surprise of the league so far. They've beaten Team RHJ, You Play Genesis, and Give Sports, and they're winning games by an average of almost 24 points per game, which is pretty impressive. Brian, who are some of the 2025 prospects from the division who were impressive for you? You mentioned Team Determined, and for me, for them, it starts with the kid Royce Bolden. Um, like 6'2 wing, kind of played big for them at times this weekend just because he's probably the biggest kid on that team right now. But he is one of those guys that's got long arms, long legs, looks like he's probably going to spread up quite a bit. And I think ultimately he'll end up on the perimeter. But right now he looks like one of the most versatile prospects in the seventh grade league. Um, another kid that I really enjoyed watching was Landon Wington, who goes by Zuki. Um, kind of a smart point guard who every time he stepped on the floor kind of made his teammates better throughout the weekend and showed that he can score it a little bit, but mostly, uh, you know, he's at his best when he's running an offense and you don't see a lot of seventh grade point guards able to elevate the guys around him the way he did. Um, and, and for me, that's something that is really advanced for a point guard of that age. And then I would say for Arizona Supreme, uh, Jayon Pitt is a guy that I think really kind of attracted both of us with his wingspan, his aggression, um, his ability to block shots and, and run from end to end and kind of just make plays and be a disruptor on the floor. Um, he was definitely a big reason why Supreme went 3-0. and And finally, uh, the Oakland Soldiers point guard, Dallas Washington. Um, the Soldiers are obviously loaded this year. You just t- touched on them and about that group as a whole. I mean, there's a lot of really interesting long-term guys on that team, um, and Dallas is certainly one of them, but he kind of stood out this weekend because he was able to knock in a few shots from the perimeter, showed off some finishing, and, and kind of just showed flashes that make you believe that he could be a high-level guard moving forward. So, Eric, who are some guys who you felt like stood out in the 7th grade league this weekend? Yeah, first and foremost, uh, I agree completely on Jayon Pitt. I mean, not only is he you know a beast right now, but he just has some measurables and the look about him that he's going to be a, a kid that keeps growing and sprouting. And I'm going to be very shocked if he doesn't end up you know somewhere in the six eight plus region when all is said and done. So I really liked what he brought to the table to start in session one. I think for the Rose City Rebels, they came into this league as one of the most hyped 2025 groups in the country. And it wasn't just hype. Maybe that was a bad word. They've won a lot of games at a high level. It's a really cohesive group. And their leader is Jalen Atkins. Uh, the the six-foot wing might be the most polished player in the division based on skill set and production levels. He's a smooth player who is also the leader for his team offensively and defensively. I really enjoy the progression that he's made from kind of a post last year to what he's doing on the wing. It's very clear that he's putting in a ton of work, and I think that he's going to be a problem for teams to deal with going forward in sessions two and three. Now, for aim high, 
a new face, uh, a kid I haven't seen yet, Gavin Hightower, 5'9 point guard. I know they have their leader in Eric Chatfield Jr., but Gavin brings a completely different element from the guard position because he's a scorer who can play physically on and off the ball, both ends of the floor, and he just makes them really tough to guard. Now, all Vegas might have the best prospect in the entire division in Tremaine Anderson. He's 6'4 with the ability to play anywhere on the court. There were times I saw him playing in the low block when he needed to, and then there were times when I saw him bringing the ball up the court and making some impressive passes. He was a kid who really caught my eye, and I expect him to continue to pick up steam as the sessions roll on. Yeah, you mentioned Anderson and and how exciting it is to see a kid at that age with that height already and, and really the ball skills that he had. He was a guy that I only saw glimpses of, but really stood out right away as soon as I saw him that, that, all right, this is somebody that we need to keep an eye on moving forward. Um, Now that we kind of talked about some individuals, though, why don't you give me a team that you feel like probably didn't play up to even their own standards this weekend? So one team that I think probably fits into that category would be Team Why Not. Um, They're winless during circuit play so far, but they do have some skilled guards on that roster. The problem that I see with them is just from a physicality standpoint, they're missing a go-to alpha player. I'm curious to see if they have a surprise addition during session two that can help turn their luck around. They do have multiple guards that I'm keeping my eye on, and you could tell that they're you know, younger for the class. So they're going to project really well. One of them is Jordan Askew, who is the younger brother of Devin Askew. So I think that Team Why Not has a chance to really, you know, turn it around going forward. But I do think it's going to take one of their current guys stepping up as just a physical leader on both ends or the addition of someone else. Now, while we were running our Made Hoops West Circuit, up the road, one of the best high school events in the country was taking place in Hoopal West. Brian, I know you scouted several games from the event. Which guys caught your attention? Yeah, so for me, the first guy that we definitely need to touch on is Andre Jackson. Uh, we've known about Andre for a long time now. I feel like we've been talking about him for, what, five, almost six years, it feels like. Um, you know, we joke about how guys don't get ever graduate from college. I could see Andre being that kind of guy just because he's, like I said, he's been around for forever already. But... What's changed for him is that he's gone from a 6'5 freak athlete who kind of just showed flashes the first two and a half years of his high school career to a 6'7 playmaking wing who's shot the ball a lot more consistently to start off this season and is really starting to showcase his vision in a way that makes me believe that he's going to be able to create and be a secondary ball handler for UConn, Um, you know. Speaking of the Huskies, obviously Hurley found a gem in book night with this class. It looks like he might be pulling another one with Andre Jackson. Um, You know, Jackson is a highly rated kid, four-star guy, but I think you're going to see him move back up the rankings quite a bit because if he's really starting, this is who he is and this is how he's playing consistently, there's no way there's 40 better guys than him in the country. Um, Let me ask you a question really quickly. In terms of his athleticism, I mean, obviously, we see a ton of athletes year in and year out. Is Andre's athleticism just something that's different than than most of the guys we evaluate? Probably. I mean, he's an elite level athlete, and it it's always kind of seemed like whatever he's done on the court is like what's been given to him by his physical gifts. And I think what's changed now is that he's got much more of 
uh, a killer instinct, a lot more aggression. And when you add that with somebody who has, you know, potentially world-class athleticism, you get somebody who's going to be able to play for a very long time. And Andre looks like that's going to be the case for him now. As far as the 2021 class is concerned, the one guy who stood out to me this weekend was Jaden Hardy, another guy that you and I personally have known since he was in the seventh grade playing with the Motor City Bad Boys. Um, you know, and then he went out to Vegas once his older brother committed to UNLV, and he's just been putting up numbers ever since. I mean, as a freshman, he was one of the best scorers in the country. Last year, it was the same thing. And, you know, he went into Hoopal and he put up 40 points in one of the games. Like, the kid just knows how to score regardless of who's guarding him or what the defense is set to do against him. Um, for me, I think that's really interesting just from the standpoint of, you know, we kind of thought he would be highly touted when he was in middle school, and then he was. And then freshman, he looked like one of the best freshmen in the country. Last year, he's one of the best sophomores. And we're still here in the middle of his junior year, and he's still considered to be one of the elite prospects in that class. And, you know, we get a handful of those guys seemingly every two, three classes. But I think it's impressive that you're able to go out with that kind of target on your back for so long and just consistently produce night in, night out and, you know, have the long term goal of playing professionally, potentially down the line and definitely playing in college and be able to kind of keep that singular focus and keep developing your game and keep improving despite everything that comes with being a highly touted guy early on. The fact the that I, you just name drop the Motor City Bad Boys is elite. So I want to congratulate you on that. Um, but you're spot on with everything you've said about Jaden. I mean, he's always been just a high volume scorer. He's had the projectability to his game. You knew he was going to grow into it. You knew he had the bloodlines. I mean, it just seems like every time we see him and every year, he just continues to add different pieces to his game. So it's been a fun journey watching him you know, evolve from the seventh grader that we saw to what he currently is. And it will continue to be a fun journey as we watch him going forward, hopefully as he gets to the professional level. Now, who is another guy that you really enjoyed watching over the weekend? Yeah, so the third and final guy I want to highlight is Shamar Morrow, who honestly has a bit of an interesting story in the sense that he was the opposite. You know, he was in sixth grade when the middle school circuits first started being a thing. Um, I think that's where we first kind of started seeing highlight videos of him throwing down dunks. And, you know, of course, people immediately got reckless and were, oh, you know, look at this kid. He's so athletic. This is the most athletic kid we've seen this young since LeBron. Like, just like making hyperfluous claims. And part of the problem is like when you get this stuff thrown on you at such a young age, sometimes it doesn't pan out that way and for me it's really frustrating because i think it's it's largely a part of you know media's fault sometimes you get guys who are who are looking at kids and not really realizing what they're actually watching and they give them praise for something that i think people with a more trained eye are, are more careful about and i think part of it is also adults and where they're at and what they're hoping that their kid ends up being so for me that's kind of where Shamar ended up getting sucked into this void. And then at the same time, being at Shadow Mountain, being behind Jalen House, he really decided to take a back seat and kind of let the upperclassmen have their time. And, you know, his name has kind of disappeared a little bit. And that's fine because throughout all of this, you can tell that he's been working on his game still, that even though that the members in his class have caught up to him physically finally, 
that he knows that he needs to add more things to his game to get where ultimately he's trying to go. And I think that's a maturity that a lot of kids that we've seen in the similar situation haven't been able to show. And those are the guys that aren't going to pan out. So no, Shamar Amaro isn't a four-star kid. And, you know, if you look back at what he was supposedly going to be in sixth grade, that, that isn't how this story is supposed to be played out, but he's still a scholarship level kid and he's still going to play on the division one level and get an education for free. And at the end of the day, that's what really matters here. Is it not? I completely agree. I think maybe the best thing for Shamar and and other kids who are in that situation is the fact that he got to step outside the limelight and develop and not have that constant media attention and that pressure attached to him. I mean, we forget that these kids are often 12, 13, 14 years old when, you know, the media circus around them really starts to intensify. And some of these kids are are pretty good at handling those expectations. But most kids are not built for that. And I'm not saying that Shamar wasn't built for that, but I do think that it takes a special kid to be able to shoulder all of those expectations and continue to develop. And and a lot of it comes down to, you know, the support system around them. I don't know Shamar's situation personally, um, but you have to have people around you who can block out the noise, who know to continue to stay in the gym, uh, where to go, who to be around, what programs to be involved with. There's so many different things that, you know, fit into the equation, basically. I'm really happy to hear that he had a good showing and that he continues to, you know, develop his game because, like you said, at the end of the day, it's about getting a free education. It's about, you know, getting that degree and providing for himself and his family the rest of his life, regardless if that's in basketball or if that's in basketball and then whatever he chooses to do after basketball. So I'm glad to see that, you know, Shamar's on the right path and he continues to, you know, make a name for himself and and just get better in general. So this week, we decided that we were going to do a Made Hoops uh, Instagram poll. We reached out to our followers, and we wanted to do a Q&A on the pod. So right now, we picked several of the questions that really piqued our interest, and we're going to go over them right now. Yeah, so I'll start off. Who's the best player that you feel has played in a Made Hoops winner circuit? Such a good question, honestly. Um, I think that depends on how you look at it you know it could be is it the best player as far as the most dominant player who played in the league period or are you mixing their production with you know the prospect that they will you know inevitably become so you know last year for team takeover Jason Moore was an absolute monster. He was a beast. You know, every every game it was like 20 and 15 rebounds, and it was he was just so hyper-productive. It was really fun to watch him just completely destroy absolutely everybody. And the fact of the matter is, yes, he's still a very accomplished basketball player, but he is a beast on the football field. I, I believe he got an Alabama football offer yesterday. So at the end of the day, his future – it's kind of up to him. Is he going to be a basketball player? Is he going to be a football player? Either way, he's going to have offers. But he was just such a sheer beast that it was it was really fun to watch him in the league and at our other events. Eighth grade finale, he brought them a championship. So I think if you're talking about like a player, it's somebody in the mold of a Jason Moore for Team Takeover. Now, if we're talking about the mix of production and and what they were going to be as a prospect, I think the answer has to be Terrence Clark. I mean, Terrence played for Expressions Elite as an eighth grader 
and it was very, very clear from session one that he was just completely special. I mean, he had the quick twitch athleticism. He was playing above the rim. He had the personality. He knew how to handle himself on the court, off the court, dazzled the fans. I mean, he was just completely different. And sometimes you see kids that just are completely different than anybody else on the floor. And Terrence was that was that guy. And as you see, he's continued to be that guy. So for me, I'm, I'm probably going to have to say my answer is Terrence Clark, uh, alum of Expressions Elite. Now, what is something that a player who isn't a freak athlete can do in order to set themselves apart? With the, the way today's game be, is being played, I think the easy answer is working on ball handling and shooting. Uh, we see it with guys in college right now like Marcus Howard, who's an absolute star. I mean, he can get his shot off basically over whoever he wants just because he knows how to change directions, change speed, and come off screens and, and just create space any way possible. Um, in the NBA, we see it with guys like Trey Young and Steph Curry. I mean, we've been seeing it from Trey for forever. You know, he basically willed Mocan with, you know, Michael Porter to a Peach Jam championship with that kind of style of play. So, I mean, to me, if you can create space, get your shot off quickly and hit threes at a high level, you can be a difference maker without having to be like an absurd level athlete or even um, have kind of prototypical size. The other thing for me would be intensity. Uh, I think motor more now than ever is becoming a skill. And, you know, we see the guys who step on the floor and they bring it every single time and they might not be the most productive as far as scoring goes, but they don't let that affect them if their shot's not falling and they find other ways to contribute to the game and bring intensity and be leaders. And I think those are the kind of guys that we see long term work out. I mean, for me, watching a guy like Terrence Ferguson and De'Aaron Fox, like we knew who those guys were personality wise very early on with them. And they kind of stayed true to themselves and made sure that like they kept themselves accountable. But more so with like Fox, like every time he stepped on the floor, you thought he was going to kill somebody because that was just what he kind of expected out of himself. And I think if you're able to hold yourself accountable and bring that intensity every single time, it doesn't matter if your shot's not falling, right? Control what you can control and, and actually be a positive impact on the game. What do you feel like the biggest challenge of being an athlete is today, though? Because obviously there's a lot of stuff that goes on on the court that they have to deal with, but off the court as well. Um, that's a great question. These, these are some really good questions. I, I want to say that I'm pretty impressed by some of the questions that these uh, kids have come up with for us. So I see this being something that we go over, you know, each and every pod, because I think this type of information is crucial to a lot of these athletes development. I think the biggest challenge of being an athlete in this day and age is blocking out the noise of social media and the smoke and mirrors attached to it. Obviously, social media is a great tool to help you get notoriety, but videos can be finessed in order to make everybody look better than they actually are. And I'm not here to call out any prospects that we know that to be true with, but you as well as I both know that there are so many times where we see a kid's film, and then when we get into the gym and we see what our eye sees, it doesn't match up with what 
the mixtapes have, you know, built up these kids to to actually be. And that really does hurt them. I think that hurts them with not only media, but with the coaches who are looking to recruit them as well. Um, the bottom line is hard work is undefeated. Athletes have to understand that getting to the college level and beyond is a process. You cannot cheat that process. You have to take each level step by step. Having a plan in place and a strong work ethic is crucial to that success. So I think it's kind of just putting your blinders on and and knowing that, yes, it's great to to have a mixtape and, and everybody wants to post some highlights of themselves and show the results of their hard work. But the bottom line is you have to know exactly where you stand and what it takes to get to, you know, becoming a standout high school player a college player, and if you're lucky enough, a professional, whether that be the NBA or, or overseas. Obviously, there's money to be made you know, all over the world playing the great game of basketball, but you can't cheat the grind to get there, and you have to accomplish things and, and do certain things at every le- level in order to make that happen. Now, here is a hot-button issue question, so I'm curious to see what your thoughts are on it. How do you feel about kids reclassifying? Before I answer that, I do want to say that we do kind of have a theme going with these questions right now as far as um, kind of just talking about long-term success, which I think is really interesting because, um, yes, we pick these questions out of the bunch, but it is interesting to see that these are questions that these kids at this age are already kind of thinking about. Um, I just think that's very interesting. So to completely get off my rant and go back to answering your question, I feel like reclassifying is a really like case by case thing. I think at middle school level, we've seen some kids who have felt like they aren't ready or their parents feel like they haven't ready for them to enter high school, whether that be for on the court or off the court reasons, um, hold their kids back a year back when they have like a young birthday. And I, I think that's completely understandable. Uh, I think on the other side of the things, we've seen kids who have done that and then ultimately do a post-grad year and end up, you know, a year and a half older than, than anybody else in their class. And, and that's where things kind of get a little bit dangerous because you have guys who are going to be 20, um, you know, at sometimes before they even hit, you know, their first college game playing against 16, 17, eight year, 18 year olds, and they're physically dominant. And I think it's a little misleading because, you know, we, we all know that there's a physical difference between a 17 year old and a 20 year old. It's just undeniable. Your body completely changes in that time. So I think the older player definitely has an advantage and it's kind of hard to um, really evaluate what you're seeing, knowing that, OK, but he's got a three year age advantage against this guy. Um, and I think the other side of that is that you get when that does happen, because that is that is an extreme. I think it's when you got guys who are, are chasing the dreams of uh, I need to play at a high major or I need to go to Division one. And I think that we see it with all the transfers that people get caught up in, in status. And at the end of the day, you guys should really be looking to go somewhere where players can thrive and they're going to succeed, not just a level that they can fit in at. And I'll never forget Josh Perkins who played at Gonzaga. Uh, you know, I asked him, you know, Josh, why Gonzaga? Cause he was a you know top 25 kid at the time. And he said, looked at me and very simply replied, well, you got to love who loves you. And I kind of laughed because it is a very casual way of putting it, but the idea is absolutely correct in the sense that this Gonzaga really wanted him. They felt like they needed him and he acknowledged that and he embraced that. And I feel like over his career there, you even saw that play out 
with the fans, with the coaching staff. Like Josh was so loved there and was able to kind of grow into the position because of what they had around him when he was a freshman. But he was definitely the senior leader on that team last year and had a great college career. And I just wish that more players would kind of look at that kind of mentality and and where that path can take you and embrace that as well. For our final question, what's the best made hoops camp that you would recommend a player going to? First of all, I I need to circle back on the Josh Perkins quote because honestly, that was one of the best player quotes that I had heard. And I have referenced that multiple times over the years since he has said that to us. And I mean, it's, it's just awesome. So I'm glad that you really brought that one up. Now, when it comes to the Made Hoops Camp Series, obviously each of our camps give athletes the opportunity to not only get seen, but to get better. Um, we have structured camps by region and age that focus on skill development, off-court education, while also highlighting the most talented prospects at each camp. Uh, our middle school academy camps have been incredible, proving grounds for the best players in America over the past several years. And in 2020, we have our East Coast Middle School Academy camp June 5th through 7th in District Heights, Maryland for classes 24 and 25. On that same weekend down the road, we'll be having our Futures Academy camp for prospects in the classes of uh, 2026 and 2027. Our Midwest Middle School Academy camp will be July 31st to August 2nd in Lexington, Kentucky for classes of 2024 and 2025. And we'll also have our Midwest Futures Academy that same weekend in Lexington for classes 2026 and 2027. You can sign up for our camps online at www.madehoops.com or directly at www.madehoops.com backslash camps. Now, obviously, we don't know who that question came from specifically so I couldn't give a specific answer but the bottom line is you know we have camps for prospects anywhere from fifth grade all the way to 11th grade we'll have our high school academy camp next fall um, so stay tuned for that and we'll also have our girls camp uh, next summer as well so if you you know go to our website and check out all the camps that we have going on you're going to be able to find the camp that fits you best Thank you for tuning in to episode three of the Made Hoops podcast. Please make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you follow Made Hoops on social media platforms, Instagram and Twitter at Made Hoops. You can find me on social media at Eric underscore Hampford. Brian, where can the listeners find you on social? Uh, on Instagram, you can find me at Hoops. that's spelled B-F-L-I-N-N. And on Twitter, you can find me at Made. Also, be sure to check out our partner at Pure Hoops Media for their extensive storytelling, insight, and analysis in the world of basketball.